Welcome back to another episode of LEO Radio. I'm Joey Spralaza, an instructor of the J. Harris Academy of Police Training. Today I'm joined here with my partner. How you doing? This is Colin Congleton with J. Harris Academy of Police Training. All right, so Colin and I, we went through uh, the first two chapters of Extreme Ownership. And we went over bad, no bad teams, only bad leaders in episode one. Today we're going to continue with part one, Winning the War Within. We're going to pick right up with Believe which is chapter three. So principles here, in order to convince and inspire others to follow and accomplish a mission, a leader must be a true believer in the mission. As I'm reading that, it brought me right back to some of the great training that I've been through. And it talked to a lot about if what we're doing doesn't line up with what our mission statement is, how do you convey that message to the troops effectively? And if you don't understand what the mission is and how to move forward with that mission, you're not going to be able to be a leader. You're not going to be able to be the person in that position when the people that you're supposed to be leading are looking for that guidance. And that to me is one of the most resonating pieces of this entire book. And you as a leader, you have to look at this message, look at this mission and see how are we putting these two together? And if you can't believe in it yourself, how could you possibly get others to follow you? Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, it's a, it is a seemingly simple principle at face value, but there's, there's so much to it. If you really try to understand it on a deeper level, uh, and and the execution of it, I think, as with many things, uh, can be complicated, right? So um, again, the 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 fundamental principle pretty straightforward, but uh, the the execution is is a little more complex. Um, for me, I, I separate this into two different things, and they're very closely related, but they are distinct. And you touched on one, and that being the mission statement of the organization. Um, I think that that is really important for any organization, whether it be uh, a military unit or a business or a police department. Uh, but but having a clearly defined mission statement uh, that guides us in our day-to-day. -day. And then we have uh, the actual smaller missions that we undertake day-to-day, -day, if you, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and that mission may be a call for service. It might be a tactical job. It, it could be uh, a critical incident or a major event. Um, but we could we could think of those in the context of a mission. Uh, and so looking at those two things, you know, obviously any mission that you undertake, you should be guided by the overarching uh, concepts within within the agency's broader mission and and the mission statement. Uh, and when in the in the absence of orders, which is a big thing, especially for cops, and I'll, I'll go more into that in a second. Uh, but in the absence of orders, you should be able to look to your mission and your mission statement for guidance. Um, you know, I, and I talk about absence of orders. Uh, police officers are very much autonomous. I mean, a, a lot of us are not um, micromanaged. Once we leave roll call or leave the station and you're out there in, in your uh, radio car or on your foot post, you know, you're you're kind of your own boss out there. So uh, you're not necessarily going to have somebody looking over your shoulder. And that's not to say that uh, none of us do or, or we never do, but there's a lot of freedom and autonomy there. So 
we have to have a clear understanding of the mission uh, to, to guide us when we don't have that uh, close scrutiny. I agree hundred percent. And where, and it's funny you brought up foot posts because in my agency, there are a lot of foot posts. I'm a Lieutenant with New Jersey transit police. Collins, a Lieutenant with Jersey city police. I spend the majority of my time in Jersey city. And so I just pulled up my mission statement because it's so simple. The mission in the New Jersey transit police department is to maintain public order and safety while deterring and preventing terrorism and crime throughout the New Jersey transit system. If the activity that we're undergoing and the steps that we're taking to move forward with our day aren't lining up with that, we have to reevaluate what we're doing. Guys are going to want to take breaks and girls. They're going to want to get off their feet for a little bit. And I understand that. But the reality is that we have a shift. Sometimes in our department, we're stuck for 16 hours at a time. A majority of that time should be spent on our mission, preventing crime, preventing terrorism, and taking proactive steps to deter that. And with us, we have a lot of foot posts. Uh, MLK Station in Jersey City, which is right up the street from your office, we had an uptick in incidents and driven by CompStat, showing that we needed to increase our presence there. And part of the patrol tactic was to have a fixed post at that, at that uh, location. The expectation was for you to dismount from your car and walk around, be on the platform, be in the area. There's a there's a little, I wouldn't call it a park, but a seating area with a couple of statues mm-hmm. that that's right adjacent to it. And the expectation was for guys to walk around for the entirety of the rush hour to stop the crime and the issues that we were having. And it's not easy to get people to buy into that when you yourself are like, ah, oh, guys, this stinks, man. It's hot out today. It's cold out today. It's raining today. If I was you, I wouldn't want to do it. Go ahead, guys. Have fun out there. No, you have to get you have to say, all right, this is the directive coming from the command. I'm a patrol lieutenant. I have to take that directive, relay it to our mission and get buy in from the troops. Part of that is actually getting out and going to do it with them myself. And I remember one of the days that I was actually out there walking around MLK, there was a guy just walking by. He goes, man, I'm glad to see you guys out here. This area is wild. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. And I made sure to take the time to relate to those two very young officers because that's always going to be a young officer, junior post, right? Those two officers, guys, that's why you're here. That guy noticed and appreciated you. There might be 100,000 people that go by you that don't take the time to say that, but that comment should have resonated with you. That's what our mission is. That's what we're doing. That's why we're out here. If we weren't here, maybe that guy would have had the same experience walking through. Maybe he would have felt fine. But the quality of life issues that people that are drinking, people that are smoking marijuana, which is now legal in New Jersey, that's not happening with us standing here, right? Because people can't smoke in that area. People don't have to now deal with that smell. People could feel safe walking through here with their family. You have to take these tasks and relate it back to our mission and get the buy-in from the people that we work with. It's such an important role for a frontline supervisor. And I hope that people that are junior supervisors are taking the time to really understand and decompress that really awesome responsibility that you have. You have to get buy-in. If you don't have buy-in, it's going to be a very difficult day for everybody. People coming to work for 40 to 60 hours a week, they should feel like they're doing something. That's not the intrinsic motivation that we need from officers. Yeah, you touched on a couple of things there that I see as common points of failure uh, for, for leaders and for agencies, right? So, you know, a directive comes down like the foot post, okay? Um, 
where a lot of middle managers, uh, well, I, I shouldn't even say that. I think where leadership as a whole tends to fail is you have the guys in the so-called puzzle palace, right, who say, hey, we got this great idea, right? We're, we're going to implement this new strategy, and it's going to be directed patrols and foot posts and this, that, and the other. And they they push it out, and uh, it usually goes out in a memo that doesn't quite explain in detail all the thought process that, that went into that. Uh, it just says, here's what you're going to do. And the middle managers then are to take that and implement it, and they read it, and they don't ask any questions. They just say, all right, uh, it says here, fixed post, walker, uh, you know, you're to be outside of the vehicle, so on and so forth. Okay, don't leave your post is, is another big one. Uh, you know, and then they implement that and you go down to your, uh, you know, street level cops. Hey, guess what you're doing today, right? And, and that person, without any explanation as to why they're doing that, uh, or understanding how it fits into the bigger mission, you know, they're thinking, I'm supposed to be out here. Our mission for the agency is to prevent terrorism. And you got me walking around a train platform for a light rail in a high crime area that's not a terror target, presumably, uh, you know, probably in the eyes of that junior officer. Uh, this feels an awful lot like I'm being punished for something, you know, and, and they don't understand why. Or uh, the, the lieutenant's picking on me, or he, you know. He's giving me a crap detail because he doesn't like me and so on and so forth. There's absolutely no buy-in. So um, there has to be better communication. I think, you know, we're going to hit a lot throughout this series uh, on a couple of recurring themes, I think. And that's going to be ego because that comes into play with leadership constantly and communication or the lack thereof. Communication is absolutely essential for, for leaders. Um, so anyway, that breakdown of communication from top to bottom absolutely uh, prevents people from being true believers and, and carrying out the mission as it's intended. So, you know, those senior level managers, you have to make sure that your subordinates understand the commander's intent. You have to make sure that they understand the why behind what they're doing. And we're, we're going to go more into that concept uh, in a few moments here. We're, we're talking about the why, but um you have to communicate that down the chain. And, and as a middle manager, if you're getting these orders and you don't completely understand not only what it is that you're to do or have your people do, but why and how that fits into the mission, how can you possibly really believe in what it is that you're doing and how can you effectively lead your people to do it right and achieve the commander's intent? So there's got to be communication up and down the chain there. Make sure that we fully understand uh, the the objective and, and how it fits into the broader mission uh, so that we can get that buy-in. And then you touched on something else that I really liked, and it's something I've done myself, and that's getting out and leading from the front, leading by example. If something's truly important, one of the best ways for frontline and, and middle managers to demonstrate that is to get involved. So, you know, I, I've had that in the past working as a patrol sergeant. Uh, my guys, you know, were, were tasked with doing foot patrols in the projects, certain uh, number of those a night and I would meet them down there and I would take that walk with them. And if it was younger guys, we'd use that time as an opportunity to uh, get to know one another, maybe kick some training, talk about uh, some tactical considerations perhaps while we're walking through there. Hey, what happens uh, if, if we get gunfire right now? You know, where, where are you? It's always a big, uh, you know, real big one. How are you going to explain over the radio concisely exactly where you are since you're not in your car? Um, all sorts of stuff, but it showed them, hey, the sergeant's out here with us, doing this with us. It must be important. 
you know, and it showed that I was a believer in it and it, it got a lot more, like you said, a lot more buy-in from them. But um, if it's cool with you, I think that's a, that's a good point to get into the next part here. Absolutely. So yeah, looking at uh principle B that the second principle in this chapter three, believe every leader must be able to detach from the immediate tactical mission and understand how it fits into strategic goals. Then under there, we have three sub points, and these are quotes taken directly from the book. When leaders receive an order that they themselves question and do not understand, they must must ask the question why. If they cannot determine a satisfactory answer themselves, they must ask questions up the chain of command until they understand why. If frontline leaders and troops understand why, they can move forward fully believing in what they're doing. It is likewise incumbent on senior leaders to take the time to explain and answer the questions of their junior leaders so that they too can understand why and believe it is critical that those senior leaders impart a general understanding of that strategic knowledge, the why to their troops. So, you know, we just hit on a bunch of that, um, but I just, I want to throw out a quick example uh, of a failure on this and because I think we can learn a lot from our failures uh, looking at the implementation of uh, implementation rather of walking posts in my agency, um, with all the things that we just talked about, if you fail to do those things and people don't understand the why, and they have the simple order that hey, you are to be out of your car on foot at this corner, and you're not to leave that post unless properly relieved. We've had incidents where gunfire broke out within line of sight of that post, and the officers did not respond. Because all they were given was this, you know, this very strict order, you are not to leave that post. They had no understanding of why it was that they were there, how that fit into the bigger mission, uh, what their left and right lateral limits were. And, and this was certainly a trickle down effect, right? You, you had somebody at the command level push it out without explaining it and, and simply uh, making it known that failure to adhere to the orders was going to result in discipline, not only for the officers, but for their supervisors. And so now, you know, that, that message gets more and more strict as it goes down. Nobody believes in anything other than the fact that they're going to get disciplined if they're not standing on that corner where they're supposed to be. And this is, uh, you know, borderline malicious compliance where you get people saying, Nope, not leaving this post. I'm, I'm not risking getting suspended or jammed up or whatever the case um, and that's, you know, one example of, I'm sure, countless, uh, and I'm sure if we were to have people here from other agencies, they could all give uh, similar examples. But it just, uh, I, I think, is a, a really strong illustration of the importance of these principles and concepts. And Jocko gives a great example in the book. I'm not going to go too much into the details, but the bottom line is the CEO who was approachable and who wanted to answer the questions, she gave a directive down that was going to affect compensation for salespeople. It was going to uh, cut the compensation for some of the lower performers. And all of the middle managers that Jocko was training were up in arms over this. And they were saying, and he simply said to her, do you think that she would put out a memo or a directive that would purposely lose this company money or purposely hurt this company? And everybody said, no, she's great. She knows the business well. So, well, did any of you guys ask her? Well, you know, she, we don't, and then everybody had excuses about why they didn't ask her. But part of the extreme ownership principle that I love is that it's extreme ownership for you. It's extreme ownership for the CEO. It's extreme ownership for the frontline 
junior private, frontline junior officer that's just off of field training. Everyone has field, has extreme ownership at their level. If you're that new officer, you have to take extreme ownership of every single call that you respond to, every report that you submit, everything. You as that middle manager, meaning a sergeant or a lieutenant in what our business is, you have to take extreme ownership of conveying those messages. And part of your biggest responsibility is being that middle person, the middle manager, to go back and forth between your captain, your deputy chief, and your frontline officers. If you don't understand something, it's your responsibility to ask those questions. And maybe what, during the course of those questions, you completely disagree with it. At the end of the day, you have to follow an order that's a lawful order. Maybe you take that, you follow the order, and now after following the order, you come up with a better way to accomplish this goal. That's where you have to give feedback and say, we tried it your way, sir. And we did X, Y, and Z. However, I think one, two, three would be a better approach to this. On our next approach, can we take this? That might be empowering you to do a shift of the way that this mission is being carried out. And it shows your ownership. Because now, instead of you just being the person that's complaining to the captain, oh, the guys don't want to stand out there. Um, maybe now we want to do a plain clothes undercover uh, detail to identify who are our actual quality of life offenders. We want to take an enforcement approach rather than a fixed approach, approach approach. And now you arrest those four people that were causing all the problems and the problems are over. You accomplish the same mission, but two completely different ways. But sometimes you have to try the first way and give that feedback. And that's where that up and down communication comes in. That's where your extreme ownership comes in. And that's what I've seen in my experience and goes along to exactly what you're saying. Get out there with the with the people that are supposed to be reporting to you. Be part of the eyes. Listen to them. Listen to what their concerns are. And also let them see what is working on this approach and let them give you feedback. Because just because they're a one-year officer doesn't mean that they're not qualified to give you good ideas. So now you have to start listening. So like that to me is something that resonated very well. Yeah, man, you hit on a bunch of good things there. And one in particular is um, we're going to get into this later on in the book, but that idea of leading up the chain, or um, if you're at the top of the chain, you know, allowing your subordinates to contribute. Uh, and a lot of that goes to humility, again, the, the ego thing, right? Um, but a, a big thing is, you know, you might ask why, and you might understand the why, and still disagree and, and say, you know, hey, boss, uh, I'm tracking. I understand what it is that you want, and I understand why it is that you want it. But I feel very strongly that this is not the way to go about it. Uh, there, and again, there's there's going to be a lot more on that subject later on in the book. But it, it definitely just reinforces the idea uh, that that communication is essential. And if you're in that position where you're making these decisions, you got to humble yourself. Uh, know that. You know, not every idea that pops into your head is necessarily the best. You might want to consult with uh, with your people that are well positioned. You know, boots on the ground have a have a ground level view of what's going on and what the problems are. They they may be able to give you some really good ideas that you didn't consider uh, that, that might be a better way to address the issue. Um, and so, with that, uh, you know, talking about different different levels in the organization, also different units. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I, I know you guys have an uh, emergency services unit. Within my agency, we've got a, a whole bunch of different units that at times may have different priorities. And so this last section under Believe, uh, Principle C, 
in any organization, goals must always be in alignment. So even though your priorities may be a little bit different uh, from one one unit or organization uh, within the, the larger organization, it's really, really important that the goals are still aligned and, and not just aligned, but I, I think more specifically, it's really important that they're not counter to one another. We have to make sure that we're not working against each other and that there's not a perception that we're working against each other. And I've seen that uh, not not so much recently, I'm happy to say, but in the past, I've seen, for example, with our uh, street crimes unit, right? And they, they may have very different goals, not just priorities, but different goals than uh, the patrol bureau, for example. And sometimes it may seem that they're working against one another. That can be really, really detrimental to the organization. Absolutely. And one of the quotes also that ties into exactly what that we we're just talking about under believe. If you do not ask questions so you can understand and believe in the mission, you are failing as a leader and you are failing your team. So if you ever get a task or guidance or a mission that you don't believe in, don't just sit back and accept it. Ask questions until you understand why, so you could believe in what you are doing and you could pass that information down the chain to your team with confidence. So they get out and execute the mission. That is leadership. So I think that uh, brings us right into our next chapter, check the ego. And I think anyone that's listening to this will see we bounce around a lot because none of these are principles that just exist in their own world. Everything right. ties back together. Everything comes together and everything is always going to be part of your whole leadership experience and how you take your ownership. So under uh, checked ego principles, ego clouds and disrupts everything. The planning process, the ability to take good advice, the ability to accept constructive criticism. It can even stifle someone's sense of self-preservation Often the most difficult ego to deal with is your own. Yeah. <laughs> where, do, where do you even start with that? Yeah, it's man. This, this is, you know, already, I mean, we're getting into chapter four. We've discussed ego in just about every single chapter uh, of this book so far. It is that important. It is that big of an issue in leadership. And I think especially in our profession, we're, we're dealing with a lot of type A personalities. We're dealing with a lot of people who are used to being an authority at some level, even if they're the junior officer on the tour. They're expected to be able to go out there in public and deal with people, often dangerous or irrational people, and take charge. And so... You got a, a lot of strong personality types and ego can very frequently be a, a real issue. And especially as people start getting rank and moving up in the chain of command, it's real easy to, to let that ego get inflated. And just as they, they say in, in that last quote there that you went through, it can disrupt and cloud everything. Uh, the, the planning process, we were just talking about this. You may have an idea that you just think is the greatest idea since, you know, sliced bread or, uh, you know, the in-car radio, right? But maybe there's something you didn't consider. And, and when somebody subordinate to you tries to suggest that, if you don't have your ego in check, 
you might be very, very quick to dismiss that because, you know, who are you? You, you don't that, have captain's bars or lieutenant's well, bars. Who are, who are you to tell me, right? That's It's something we see all the time in this profession. And that's something that we talked about in episode one, right? When we talked about celebrating the wins, taking ownership of the losses and pushing those wins down. I would, as I self-reflect on my career up until this point, and I still have time to go, but I've made sergeant with about five and a half years on. And I would probably say that I had a very high level of proficiency of being a police officer. But looking back, I had zero real leadership experience in the police world. I worked in business prior to this and I was in a management position, but it's though that experience helped me, it's not exactly hand in hand. And one of the things that I will say is that because I've actually let myself be criticized and actually taken ownership of mistakes that I've made, which has included internal affairs complaints. I'm not afraid to, to admit that. Um, and mistakes that I've made, that's the stuff that grows you. And I can even say that yesterday, literally yesterday, I had one of my best officers asking me questions about what to do with an arrest. And he knew what to do. And I asked him, I don't know, what do you want to do? And I knew what the outcome was going to be. But forcing him to make that decision, like you come to me with a simple question, the opposite of what I expect people to do to me. I want people to come to me with an answer. If you come to me with a question, I'm going to solicit the answer out of you. And that goes to checking your ego. Yes, I have proficiency at being an officer. Congratulations. You better have proficiency at being an officer by the time that you make lieutenant. But when you now have people coming to you asking you for questions, is it necessary for you to ask that question? Is it necessary for you to make that decision? Uh, one of the concepts as we get into uh, decentralization is decisions should be made at the lowest appropriate rank. If this is a decision for a police officer to make, assist them and guide them and get that answer, but make that answer come from them. You don't need to flex your rank. You don't need to show, look at me. I know what to do in this situation. Those are the times where you have the, the time to give teaching because now next time he has that question, he's not going to come to me with a, with a question because he answered it himself. And I knew that that answer was appropriate. And it, it, it just, that type of attitude transcends into such a positive work environment for people because now instead of me telling him something that he honestly didn't want to hear, he answered it himself. He knew what he was saying was right, and he he knew that he was going to get stuck late on this arrest because it was, it was going to turn into prisoner watch and and all of that. But the um, like that's the type of stuff that we have to think about in law enforcement, right? Like, why why make the decision for for the people below you? That's part of checking your ego, right? That's something that honestly, uh, I think is becoming an issue in many many agencies across the country now. We have almost a paralysis by micromanagement or overmanagement over supervision where people at the lower levels are unwilling or unable to make even basic small decisions without going up the chain and we're seeing things that years ago would have been decided by the officer now being decided not even by a sergeant or a lieutenant, but by a captain. Because you got people now getting promoted to sergeant who as officers were never allowed to make a decision on their own. 
Yep. Now they're a sergeant. They have officers coming to them looking for them to make the decision. They're going to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant's saying, well, man, if the, if the sergeant's coming to me, I'm, you know, really just a, a middleman. I'm going to I'm going to check with the captain because I don't want to risk making the, the wrong decision. Now, that. Doing that consistently creates a really dangerous situation. It, it might not be dangerous when you got somebody asking for time off or something like that. But when you're in a critical incident, when you're responding to an active shooter incident, something where time is of the essence and lives are on the line, you better be able to make a decision. And not, yeah, there, there are obviously many parallels between the military and the job, uh, and there are many differences, but we, we refer to it as a quasi-military profession. This, the language of this might not be kosher with some modern leaders in our profession, but the, the idea behind it, I think, is still valid. And uh, I can't recall who says it, but basically it's that an imperfect plan executed violently, or or we'll say uh, eagerly <laughs> right now, is always better than a perfect plan executed too late, right? Inaction uh, can cost lives or, or can get people hurt, can lose assets and resources. You have to be able to make decisions. And so I, I love what you were talking about there by checking your ego and instead of thumping your chest and saying, yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to make the call humbling yourself and, and helping that junior officer to grow professionally by walking them through and helping them come to the conclusion on their own is, is really important. You're cultivating not just leaders, but you're cultivating decision makers. And that's something that we're sorely lacking. And someone from the outside looking at me now with the current squad that I work on, we're at the end of the year. We do our bid change in January. It was a significant amount of purposeful, calculated work that happened prior to November that got us to this point. I'm very hands-off because the people that I work with earned that right. They earned the right for me to not second-guess them, for me to listen to the call. And I might call them and have a question, especially if I hear something out of the ordinary. But me not talking on the radio isn't me not paying attention. I'm not sitting in the office watching Netflix. It's me allowing them to make that decision. And just like you said, I'd rather them make a decision, make a mistake, and learn from it. If it's not going to cost someone their life, if it's not going to be something that's so detrimental to the organization, why not allow them to make a mistake that maybe there's a better option out there? but I'd rather them make the decision because now they're learning. Now they're not relying on me to make that decision. And I have people on my squad that are on the sergeant list that are going to get promoted. And the way I treat him, especially the, the one that I know that's going to be next, I bring up in roll call questions and I allow him to, to answer those questions from other people because I want him to know what's going to be. Like. He's going to be on the other side of the desk soon. That shift in leadership should be happening while you're still a police officer. It shouldn't happen after you already have stripes on your sleeve. So it's not a lays fair attitude. It's not being laid back. It's not me, definitely not me being afraid to make a decision. It's allowing decisions to be made at the appropriate level and check your ego. You don't need to be involved in everything. When the, Especially when the people that work under you are doing everything and bring an awesome job from beginning to, to end, that's when I do open my mouth. I tell my captain, guess what these guys did? And I had no involvement in it. 
I've had times where I've got an attaboy from a captain. So I respectfully, I had no involvement in this incident. There's all these, these officers here. And that's the type of stuff that goes a long way for the officers. That's why people want to work with you. And if you're the type of person that needs to have that reassurance, as a lieutenant, there's going to be very few jobs that you need to be involved in that you're going to be worthy of an award. But there's going to be a lot of jobs happening over the course of a year that are award worthy, that are handled by the officers. That's their moment. Let them shine. Don't insert yourself into it. Check your ego. That brings us right into the uh, next point. Implementing extreme ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility. Ego can prevent a leader from conducting an honest, realistic assessment of his or her own performance and the performance of the team. The key thing with this, humility, I think a lot of times gets misconstrued or, or misunderstood um, by those of us who try to practice it and by those of us, uh, I should say those around us. So humility, to be clear, is not a lack of confidence. It, it's the opposite of that. It is having enough confidence to say that I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to be the loud one. I don't have to always be right. I know that I'm good at what I do. And I know that I still have a long way to go and a lot to learn and, and that I can learn from everybody around me. That's a, that's a different kind of confidence. And that quiet confidence is really important. So the exercising humility, I, I think, is a really critical skill for any leader. And, and you hit on a great example of that, you know, taking the blame and not the credit and, and being willing and able to pass the credit to your people is is huge. And man, you will get so much leadership capital by doing things like that, by humbling yourself, practicing humility and, and passing that credit. But the other thing uh, in, in that second part of that, there's that self-assessment and the assessment of not only your performance, but the performance of your team. That's huge. We have to be honest with ourselves about our performance and our team's performance, especially in, in this profession. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, quarterly uh, profits and things. We're talking about, are we really truly ready to answer the call? Should there be a major terrorist incident, right? Are we really, really truly ready to breach a door and, and deal with somebody who's armed and suicidal or holding a hostage? Those major incidents that are low frequency, but high risk. Um, it's really easy to say, ah, I, I went to this SWAT school or, you know, we got all the fancy gear and, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm great at this. I'm the, you know, I'm the, the best guy in the team. Is that a genuine measure of your skill set and, and your level of preparedness and, and your performance? Usually not. And, and in order to get that honest assessment, you have to be humble. You have to practice humility. Yep. And I love, one of the things I love doing too is passing on and we spoke about this in the in in the first um in the first episode but if you have somebody that you work with that is very proficient in an area utilize their skill set and bring that to your entire team i'm not a firearms person i'm proficient at shooting a firearm but when it comes to stuff that's happening inside i point at a target it goes bang and i hit the uh, target where it's supposed to go that's the end of my firearms i don't know how to take guns apart proficiently like some of the guys i don't know 
all the nomenclature. And I'm not afraid to admit that because in my current capacity, that's not a skill that I have to have. We just got new shotguns. And one of the guys on my squad, big hunter, he's shot every type of shotgun from a muzzle loader to the semi-automatic shotguns that we just got. I had him just show to our entire squad, stand up in front of everybody, how to safely unload it, how to, how to use that, that shotgun, because we didn't receive a lot of training on it yet. So like bringing that person into, to utilize that skill. Sure. I could stand in front and I could muddle my way through it, but why would I do that when that's his area of expertise when it comes to narcotics interdiction? That's where I would like to, that's where I would interject because that's what I enjoyed doing, but how, and that goes into the humility, understanding what are you actually proficient at? We, uh, our entire department went through a, uh, they called it linear ops. It's a active shooter training on board a train a, for an actual linear target, which is different than room clearing, similar sure. principles, but different. And I credit the department a lot because they actually got us all on the same, same page. They, they showed us how to proficiently clear a train. Uh, Northern red was the company that they used very excellent company. Uh, I would recommend them to anybody, but now, after that training, a light rail vehicle is set up completely different than a regular heavy rail train. So we actually got a, a light rail uh, that was out of service given to us by uh, the light rail personnel. And I said to my team, guys, let's figure out how to clear this. And I went in with a plan. And my plan that we went in with was not the plan that we exited with because I value the input of the people that I work with. I mean, I was never a SWAT operator. I'm proficient in room clearing because everyone in law enforcement needs to be, but that's not my area of expertise. So get that feedback. Could I say, this is how we're going to do it. But then we all know that if there was an actual active shooter on board, one of these light rail vehicles, the plan goes out the window. Cause you're just going to sink to your, uh, your level of training. But what you need to do is, be able to to have that team mindset and that to me that's humility it's i don't care if you're a two-year officer maybe you're a two-year officer that did four years overseas and you have real combat experience like how could i overlook that like we have to be humble we have to we have to solicit those opinions of people that work with us because until you actually solicit it until you give them that opportunity to shine you aren't going to know what these people can actually bring to the table yeah i like that you uh, brought up the firearms and active shooter stuff because that's a great vehicle to deliver the the points of this section here. Uh, I'm a, a firearms guy. I've been a firearms instructor for a long time. I was a, a scout sniper and a grunt in the Marine Corps. So um, that is my thing, right? When When you look at performance on just about any level in our profession and any specialty in at any rank, right? Gauging your performance, that, that it, it's all relative. By which I mean, who are you comparing yourself to? The other guys on your squad? Or if it's a unit, are you comparing yourself to other units that you train with from the county, from the state? Are you going to national competitions, right? And, and all this being relative, you know, if, if you're a, a good pistol shot, right, because you shoot 100 on our uh, handgun qualification course, should you be pounding your chest saying, man, I, I am a great shooter? I mean, again, it, it's relative, right? So if you're the, the best guy in your squad, you're the only guy shooting hundreds, yeah, hey, good, good on you. But I would say that HQC is nonsense. It's a joke. 
by no means does passing the HQC or even shooting a hundred on it mean that you're ready for a gunfight. Because so you when you're in a gunfight, that's not this that's not the situation you're going to be in. Right. You're, you're never right. going to be sitting there like taking your time, slow sweat triggers squeeze. Right. Not most of them are going to be within seven yards in a high stress yeah. environment. You're moving, the target's moving, absolutely you're stressed out. You're dealing with all the, the physiological and psychological effects of, of that combat stress, right? Then you go shoot with guys like Northern Red. I, I took some training from them. Also, Zach Harrison was yep. uh, one of the most amazing shooters and instructors I've ever trained with. Uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to do the linear assault stuff with the U.S. Marshals. Those guys are fantastic. Uh, the the uh, Federal Air Marshals, rather, the FAMS. And, uh, you know, the, the point of this is, is to say, as leaders especially, you got to push outside of your comfort zone. And, and if you are the best in the room, or if you think you're the smartest in the room, you are not surrounding yourself with the right people. You have to constantly be seeking out those that you can humble yourself and say, they're better at me than this. And I can learn from them and they can help me get to another level. Again, that, that humility, right? And no matter how good you are at something, and you brought up one before that I've heard a bunch of times, Ah, combat vet, right? Oh, combat vet, Marine, multiple tours in Iraq, this, that, and the other. I don't need to go to that training. Been there, done that. I'm I'm as good as it gets. That's a that's a recipe for disaster. That is dangerous. You need again, humble yourself, check your ego, and recognize that the game is constantly changing and evolving, no matter what it is. Again, if it's SWAT stuff, narcotic stuff, uh, interdiction, um, counterterror. There's constantly new tactics, techniques, procedure, technology, all sorts of stuff. You got to constantly train and look to better yourself. And the only way that you're going to continue doing that over the course of a career is to stay humble. Absolutely. It's funny because you talk about the shoot, the officer involved shooting. Just yesterday, uh, this was a video that was released from an officer involved shooting in Louisville, Kentucky on november 13th if you didn't see it it's uh it was a domestic violence incident foot pursuit i'll actually show the video right here Nine one one operator shekel what is the address of your emergency um i'm on beecher street i'd like to report a domestic incident beecher street yes ma'am all right what's going on there um, there's currently, they're fighting, there's a girl running down the street screaming for help, there's a guy chasing her. Alright, have they put him in front of each other? Now there are two guys out in the street fighting, yes. Alright. He said it was two males fighting. There are two males in the street fighting, there was a woman running down the street screaming for help. Alright. Do you have a description of any of these people? Uh, it's a black male with dreads, wearing a light green shirt, green pants, a uh, blonde-haired woman with a gray sweatshirt and pink sweatpants. And is the female, is she a white, black, Hispanic, Asian, biracial? She's, a, she's white. And so she has blonde hair and a pink outfit. She has blonde hair, a gray shirt, and pink sweatpants. And he has on a light green shirt and dark green pants with white shoes and dreads or braids. Any in, any distance for the other males involved? Uh, no, he he went back inside.
So after watching this video, you'll see the officers got into a foot pursuit, jumping over a fence, ran for maybe 200 yards. Anyone that's run for 100 to 200 yards and hasn't run in a long time is going to know your adrenaline's pumping. <laughs> this guy yeah. is holding an AR style pistol. He is engaging these, these officers, not listening to any commands. And now you're putting shots on target with houses in the background. You have to know your backdrop. You own every single bullet. God forbid you now have to live with yourself. If you uh, unfortunately had a, a miss that hit an innocent bystander. And I mean, take the legal process aside, you, You'll probably get cleared, but you have to live with the fact that you that you injured an innocent party. None of us want to do that. We're not monsters. We're here to protect people. So when you look at these types of incidents, you understand and know, like, I don't care how much you trained for that moment. In that moment, that officer, he rose the occasion. He did an awesome job. And the reality is at the end of this, you have to understand, I don't care how good you are. You're not ready for that moment. You're not. And I hope that when you are in that moment, you are ready. But when you have the mentality that you're ready, that's what we're talking about. Check your ego. Be humble. Don't ever think you're ready. Don't ever be satisfied because guess what? You stop running. You stop working out. You stop lifting. Your muscles deteriorate. If you stop training, I mean, when's the last time you actually did active room clearing with your entire team? If you haven't done that in a long time, that's a deteriorating skill. That's the stuff that you have to stay on top of. And that's where your hum being humble really, really comes into play. And one of the really tricky things with this profession, too, is if if you are really committing yourself to training in a particular area and you think you've you've reached the pinnacle of, of your development in that area, in the meantime, your skills have gotten dull in other areas yep. <laughs> because there are so many things that, that we are called upon to do. So, you know, if you've been really committed to pursuing excellence in the tactical realm, for example. Well, maybe it's time now to, to shift focus and look back at 
communication skills, de-escalation skills, things like that. Maybe it's time for a, you know, case law update. Make sure that you're, because you spent the last six months going to all these tactical courses, maybe now you got to get back and look at, hey, what's been going on with the law since I have been focusing on all these other things? There's there's constantly in this profession areas that we we can be improving at. And that goes right into the last point of principles. We are confident in our skills and eager to take on a challenging mission that others cannot or are unwilling to execute. But we cannot ever think that we are too good to fail or that our enemies are not capable, deadly, and eager to exploit our weaknesses. And exactly what you mentioned about being reaching the pinnacle level, and John Maxwell talks about that in the five levels of leadership. When you re- think that you've arrived, it's time to go. It's time to retire. If you have that time in, it's really time to go. If you don't have that time in, it's time to have a reality check with yourself. Case law is constantly evolving. Your physical health and your physical body is aging and deteriorating. To not stay on top of that would be detrimental to everybody around you. Detrimental to the people that we serve, the citizens that we serve, and detrimental to your to yourself and your officer safety. When you feel that you've reached the top level of of fitness, you've never reached it. You could always do a little bit better. You could always set a, a different goal. Maybe you've reached the highest level of uh, weightlifting right now. Maybe you need to go back to cardio. There always has to be some sort of balance. You could never be reach perfection as a human being. I wholeheartedly believe that. And the more that you accept that, the more that you're going to strive for that perfection. And having a difficult goal that's hopefully attainable for you is how you move forward in your life, move forward in your career. And if we look at that with setting goals for our organization, if we look at that with reducing crime, with apprehending violent criminals, with coming coming up with an actual targeted game plan and understanding, I cannot apprehend every criminal in the United States. Physically impossible. However, I could have a significant uh, impact in this specific area. I'm going to come up with a, a plan. I want to come up with a, a way to do it. I want to come recruit officers that believe in this mission and maybe assign them to to this specific area maybe what our focus was for for this week was motor vehicle violations because we've had an uptick in crashes but while we focus on that we've been getting crushed with catalytic converter thefts your catalytic converter thefts it might take a week to two weeks to apprehend somebody you're not going to have any motor vehicle summonses to show. You're not going to have any quantified statistics, but your production is being measured in other ways because you're actively patrolling and now you're lowering the crime. And now you apprehend that one person that was doing all those catalytic converter thefts. So understanding and shifting our missions to meet what actually is the need of our community that we serve. And that has to, to go with your, your ego. Because if you say my squad is out there crushing 50 motor vehicle summonses, that's great. But your squad is also the highest uh, that we're getting catalytic converter thefts. Just one example. That's where we have to check our ego and understand that our mission has to be for the greater good. One thing I, I'll throw in uh, just to, to finish this out. One of the many things that I think jujitsu has to offer our profession and, and our leaders in particular uh, is this, this concept as as people evolve and and they're on their journey with with jujitsu and they get to the they they eventually attain their black belt. What you find is that they're often some of the most humble uh, practitioners in in that art, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, certainly among the top, 
by the time they've gotten to that black belt, they've been tapped out so many times that they know they are never too good to fail. And there's always some opponent, some adversary, some enemy out there who is ready to exploit their weaknesses and attack those weaknesses. And so they keep training. And I've heard a lot say that when they reach black belt, it's, it's cyclical. They're, they're basically starting over as a white belt. And now they're, they're going back to the basics and trying to perfect each and every technique that they've learned and perfect their game. Uh, but the key thing there is the humility. And, and you're talking about people that are operating at an extremely high level. These are extraordinarily talented people who are very dangerous, who have every right to be extremely confident in any kind of interpersonal conflict. Uh, but they remain extremely humble and they they help others up. They help others along on their journey. And they, you know, they recognize exactly what they're saying here. They're never too good to fail. Um, and just a one other tie-in on that, you know, if if you in your professional career have never been tapped out, if you've never failed, uh, then you are not setting the bar high enough for yourself. You are not pursuing worthwhile challenges. You're not pushing yourself hard enough. If if you find that you are constantly just crushing it and killing it and succeeding at everything, you you need to set the bar higher for yourself and, and pursue different kinds of challenges. And it's funny because uh, I was teaching a class out in Connecticut, uh, front, Dark Command One, Frontline Leadership. And um, as I was driving into the to where we were hosting the class, I saw one of the officers in Southington having a car stop uh, pulled over. You know, obviously, I just looked over, normal car stop. And uh, I mentioned it during the class and everyone's like, oh, that's our traffic guy. He's out there writing 500 tickets, but he can't he can't find one single car that has drugs in it or a gun in it. And I was like, oh, really? Well, uh, who's trained them? And like, <laughs> now there now there's no response. Who's who, who's his sergeant who puts in for his training? Has anybody sent him for an arrest search and seizure class? Has anybody recently gone over how to uh, identify criminal deception? how to uh, identify the types of criminal behavior that cars exhibit as they're driving on the highway. Uh, no. Okay. So he found something he's very proficient in, which, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of skill to find somebody speeding the, but like now let's take an ownership of him. You're his, you're in a leadership position. Maybe you, you handle training for your agency, push him to go into these criminal interdiction classes and you never know what you're going to get out of him. Push him to to get uncomfortable. Make him get into those situations. And maybe he nobody's ever shown him how to legally search a vehicle and he's afraid of it because he doesn't want to get jammed up for violating someone's civil rights. So like it, it, all, it all ties back in. Bring it all back together, right? Especially for you. I mean, you're, you're, you're the training guy for your department. So uh, it's it all has to come back down to training and, and putting putting in the work and being humble to want to go and seek out that training. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Anything else that you want to touch on for either of these? No, I, I think we uh, we drilled into it enough. Looking forward to the next episode where we'll get into part two of the book with uh, the laws of combat. Some real right. practical stuff that uh, that we can apply day to day in the job. And if you are looking to 
come to one of our classes where we discuss this. Command One is a week-long class where we discuss a lot of leadership principles and having that critical shift from officer to a frontline leader. If you're already an established sergeant or lieutenant, we have the road sergeant tune-up where we, it's a one-day course to help bring us back to being motivated to be the leaders that we all are. We have to be a leader in law enforcement. We also have Command Two for uh, mid-level managers, such as lieutenants and captains. So please join us, especially if you want to hear me talk to you face-to-face for eight hours at a time. I promise I won't bore you to sleep. But thank you guys for joining us. I hope you're enjoying these podcasts. Please subscribe for more. And uh, looking forward to our next episode. Have a safe day. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by the J. Harris Academy of Police Training. J. Harris Academy of Police Training is based in New Jersey and provides law enforcement training services nationwide for promotional examinations, use of force, supervisory development, and other key areas within law enforcement. This podcast is utilized to discuss key topics occurring within the profession. The opinions and information provided is for entertainment purposes only. In an effort to provide this, we often purposely discuss opposite views and opinions to spark conversation and develop discussion points. The contents of the show and show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if the J. Harris Academy of Police Training is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is redistributed. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall the J. Harris Academy of Police Training, any guests, contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of the company be responsible for damages arising from the use of the information provided.